a while back, Radiolab, uh, one of my favorite podcasts that tackles all sorts of unusual scientific questions, uh, answered a question that I considered to be a very Christian one. This very Christian question was actually provoked by Annie Dillard, the essayist, who um, in the middle of an essay of hers seemed to almost wonder aloud to herself about the population of the world and if the number of people living right now outnumber the total of humans who have ever lived, right? So right now. At this moment, all across the planet, there are 7.6 billion human beings eating, breathing, sleeping, brushing their teeth, walking their dogs, drinking coffee, going to church. And the number is going up exponentially, right? Every day, 386,000 babies are born, about 16,000 babies an hour. We are adding a billion people every 12 years to our global population. So, will that population ever grow so much that it will outnumber the dead? Now, one of the hosts of Radiolab read Dillard's essay and thought, could we figure that out? You get the idea, right? Imagine every human life that has ever lived as a chip, and in one pile you have the 7.6 billion chips representing everyone alive right now, and in the other pile everyone who has ever died has that living pile uh, ever outnumbered the dead. The whole 50-minute episode is worth a listen to hear how complex the calculations become. Like, what, what do we consider as the first human beings, Right? Are they the humans of 50,000 years ago who more or less resemble us, music-making, jewelry-wearing, talking? Or do we go back 200,000 years to when the first, you know, upright, bipedal, grunting group of cave people ran around on the savannah? So, they do go back 200,000 years, in fact, Jack. In the interest of a 10-minute sermon, though, I will uh, spoil it for you, though it is worth a listen. The answer is no. Uh, The living have never and will never outnumber the dead. The answer approximated was that for the combined pile of chips representing the living and the dead, about 7% of that pile is alive now. Interesting. I say that this is a Christian question because it is a question that our Christian tradition nudges us to consider all the time, but particularly on a day like today where we celebrate All Saints Day. You'll often hear us say around here that Episcopalians sit on that three-legged stool of scripture, tradition, and reason that we interpret our times and the ways of God through those lenses. The scripture part, right, it's self-explanatory. The words found in our Bibles. Reason, the other leg, well, that's personal, right? You use your mind to think deeply and critically about God. But tradition, tradition is that supporting leg that includes the communion of saints, the 15 ghosts out there for every you. G.K. Chesterton said it best, tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. 
Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about. Sometimes we think of tradition as sort of being stuck in the past, backwards-looking, not in the moment. But it's actually the only one of those three legs of the stool that continues to expand its membership all the time. Tradition, unlike the closed canon of scripture, brings us into fellowship with the living church even after we no longer happen to be walking about. Similarly, unlike the frustratingly finite bounds of my own reason, tradition just keeps growing. The faith and teachings of the past live on and change and grow to speak to the present, which is always becoming past. This is not always a comfortable relationship to maintain, given that very often the thoughts and lives of the saints who have gone before were very unlike mine. Have any of you ever come across a book of just dedicated to the tales of the saints and read a few? They're wild, right? full of strange tales of being fed to lions and locking themselves in tiny cells for years at a time, sitting on stylites, slaying dragons, taming the fierce wild beasts, or being fed to them, as we just said. But more often than the wildness, it's a personal difference rather than a dogmatic one for me. Most of who I am would have been deemed incompatible with priestly office until only a few years ago, a mere blink in time our present is in terms of Christian tradition. I, personally, claim C.S. Lewis as one of the great heroes of my faith, and yet my irritation at his uh, misogyny and homophobia that you read in book club with me, if you came to that one, um, is just as real to me as my adoration of his intellect and his deep faith. But I claim him, and I believe he claims me now, as he finds himself face to face with what in our mortal lives we see through a glass darkly. The author of Hebrews writes, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't know always what that means, But when I think about all saints, fearful might be a good descriptor, actually, of the feeling of finding yourself inside a circle of folks you thought you would never have to face. Inside the ever-widening expanse of God's infinite grace with people whose behaviors and beliefs I would never allow in if human judgment were the rule. For today, I wonder... Could all saints, where we claim the chips of the complicated and the uncouth dead, teach us to deal with these chips in the pile of the living with a little more humility? Could it teach me to suspect that even my very righteous convictions that I hold might be someday revealed as covering some more insidious hypocrisy? Here's what I mean. 
My New Testament professor, Kathy Grebe, urged us to consider this as we struggled with Paul in our New Testament class. Maybe some of you have had your own struggles with Paul. She said that one day, if the human race survives into some more enlightened era, folks will look back on us with the same shock and horror that we look back on on some of our saints. But their shock and horror will be about probably the amount of thoughtless waste we create every single day. They will find us unconscionable, damnable for driving cars, you know, or eating meat. While C.S. Lewis will be held responsible for his misogyny, we will be held responsible for the cataclysmic degradation of life on earth. And even so, they will claim us. Built into tradition is a necessary humility. Buried in this holy day is the heart of the Christian message, friends. Every time we turn around, the boundaries are being expanded to include those we expect to see outside the circle. We give votes to the obscure and the forgotten. Just as soon as we think the table is full is when we are asked to look out and see who isn't here. All saints insist that these people are our people, and that we cannot get away from them. This scandalous inclusion of all sorts of sinners, ourselves chief among them most days, is paradoxically what breaks down the walls between us. It reveals that in God, through the expanse of time and space, we failing and fighting humans are never less than one. Amen.